0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome back to Composite Two-Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I am your one-star host, Chris Trevino. And as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Gerald Gerard Hurricane Martinez. Gerard, I have this Peristyle open right now, and I see a video clip of Blair and Gulo playing right now, so I kind of feel like he's here with this as well.
0: Is he here in spirit? Is he talking about how uh, DiLariola is going to go to Georgia? Because I know that's a very popular topic on the Peristyle right now.
1: It is actually talking about DiLariola. He's dropping a little of a Blair bomb on uh, online, so, you know, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with these crystal balls for DiLariola, so it'll never end. Until he officially signs, but we're not here really to talk about Dylan Rayola and another Georgia crystal ball. We're going to talk about a bunch of other stuff. I don't think it's going to be a super long show, and I know I just jinxed myself by saying that, so this will be a three-hour show. But we do have a big new commitment to talk about, and we do have a bunch of like smaller recruiting things to kind of get through. So it's kind of a long list of uh, little talking points we're going to go through for today's show, Gerard.
0: Yeah, there's a bunch of little stuff which can sometimes lend itself to a longer, more It builds up. Meticulous conversation. Stack little but, wins. Uh, stack little wins. Stack little wins. That's what it feels like. It feels like we're inching our way closer to June, which is when the official visits hit, when you really kind of get a sense for, OK, what's the foundation of this 2024 class going to look like for USC? But right now, we're sizing up. A bunch of different official visits. Some of these kids will officially visit USC. We'll probably see some, maybe not officially visit USC. You know, it's going to be one of those things that until it's the week of, you never really know uh, who's coming and who's not coming. But um, yeah, there's a, a lot of stuff. May evaluations going on right now. The coaches are hitting the road. Uh, we hit the road a little bit and gotten some updates on some recruits. And again, kind of checking in and see. Who's going to take their official visits during the summer? Who's going to want to make their decisions before the end of the summer, which is a very popular thing for a lot of top prospects to do. And so kind of getting a pulse on that and trying to get a feel for that. So, yeah, there's just uh, some, some housekeeping to go on and uh, look at and review. And then, obviously, there are uh, some bigger impact pieces. And certainly at the top of the show, we'll talk about that.
1: Two housekeeping. Co- Two housekeeping notes for this show. Number one, we've talked about the dreaded break, at least dreaded for our listeners and our fans. But, you know, barring any sort of magical, bomb-shaking, landscape-altering commitment within the next couple of weeks, we are going to be taking a little bit of a break. And it's a little bit of a design break because I'm actually going out of town. I'm going back home to... The DMV to Maryland for a wedding. My roommate – my old roommate, excuse me, from college is getting married. And I'm actually in the wedding, so I'm going back home for a little bit of R&R, going to go attend a wedding, see a bunch of old college friends. So I will not be in the state of California. Now, Gerard hinted, teased, joked, I don't know, that you know maybe the show does not need me to go on for next week. But that I'll leave that up to him. Gerard, that's up to you if you want to keep going while I am out of town.
0: A thinly veiled threat is how I would <laughs> categorize it.
1: Yes, uh, a thinly veiled uh, threat that the show does not need 10K to keep on rolling. But after this week, we are going to take a little bit of a break. I'm not sure how long that's going to be, but I will tell you we'll at least be back for what should be a very, very busy June of official visits. I can promise you that. I don't know if this will be the only episode for May, but we're going to take our break. But we will be back for June. I promise. I promise we'll be back for June. The other – business to attend to at the top of the show as always it's just a thank you to the official sponsor of the composite two-star recruit you know her you love her that is meredith schlosser the number one real estate agent in los angeles with over 600 million dollars in sales and more than 205 star zillow reviews she has represented people like justin silverstein head coach for usc's women's golf and genie Buss, the president of the los angeles lakers and yes even a one-star like myself, I used her services to get me into the house that I am in now. Meredith is backed by a full service team that allows her to service a wide range of clientele for rental sales and purchases. She also has extensive experience with first-time home buyers and sellers. Most recently, Meredith was recognized by Wall Street Journal within the top 1.5 percent of agents in the nation. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredith schlosser.com that is s-c-h-l-o-s-s-e-r and seriously check out her business instagram at meredith real estate make sure to give her a follow you can see all the beautiful houses and rentals that they have going on with their site thank you again to meredith schlosser and the official sponsor of the composite two-star recruits gerard we said you know we had a lot of little things to talk about we do have one big thing to talk about and it makes the cold open that much easier, and that is Sierra Canyon four-star wide receiver Xavier Jordan decided to go ahead and make a early commitment to the Trojans. There was a little bit of news tease that something was going to drop Monday. It ended up being a commitment from Xavier Jordan, a consensus four-star wide receiver in the 24-7, 24/7 sports composite and 24-7 sports rankings. His number 109. In the composite, the number 17 wide receiver, number 15 prospect in California, a little bit higher in the 24/7 Sports rankings in the top 100, at number 71 overall, and the number 13 wide receiver played at Cathedral and then ended up transferring over to Sierra Canyon. He is a six foot one, 165 pound wide receiver. I got to see him for the first time at the Under Armour camp, and boy. I got to tell you, that man has some hands. He caught everything. The only one he did not catch, as I mentioned on the podcast, was this crazy catch he was trying to make, one-handed. Other guy was holding his uh, his uh, left hand to his body. It was just a, would have been an incredible Sports Center type catch. But yeah, he's got some sticky hands. And USC getting their highest-rated 2024 commit right now in the class, bump them up to about 52 in the nation. So Gaining a little bit of momentum, you know, having picked up Brian Jackson, three-star running back out of Texas, and now Xavier Jordan. We're seeing that class build a little bit of momentum as we move into the summer. Gerard, give me your thoughts on Mr. Xavier Jordan.
0: Yeah, a very Lincoln Riley-esque wide receiver. Uh, When you look at the tradition of USC, you know, there's that little argument, wide receiver you. And I think a lot of people don't want to give USC wide receiver you because they already gave them tailback you so many years <laughs> ago. But truthfully, when you look at USC, you see eras of wide receivers. And that's just in the modern era of college football. So you go back to sort of the Pete Carroll, Lane Kiffin days. And when Lane was wide receivers coach at USC, up to coordinator at USC, transitioning to when he was a head coach at USC, you have so many different names of so many big receivers And that sort of made USC an outlier. You know, there's not a lot, if any, other schools that have featured big receivers like the University of Southern California, Mike Williams, Dwayne Jarrett, David Osbury, Patrick Turner, Drake London. There are so many of these big wide receivers that USC has uh, featured in their offenses. It's a little different than a guy like Xavier Jordan. But you can compare Xavier Jordan to another era which is still within the modern era of college football, within the USC pipeline, and that's sort of coming into the kind of, I guess you could say, T. Martin uh, sort of era of USC wide receivers. He was the wide receivers coach and uh, for a time was the offensive coordinator also at USC when they had Robert Woods, Marquis Lee, Nelson Aguilar, and that's more of what you would compare Xavier Jordan to. Six one, 165 pounds, uh, a guy that's you know, probably in that 10-9, maybe high 10-8 range in terms of speed, as you said, incredibly strong hands, catches the ball effortlessly, runs good routes, you know, solid routes, not necessarily super polished, like let's say Almon Ross St. Brown, mm-hmm. but a guy that certainly has that ability to catch the ball and Really, in a unique way, what I saw from him in terms of the athleticism and getting open was that at the Under Armour camp specifically, I've seen him like three or four times now, he really does an excellent job of being able to separate at the top of his route. So the defensive back will run with him, and he'll make his break, and it's really that last sort of, you know, four to five yards of the route where he has this ability to just sort of be able to lean to create separation, to give himself a little better window for that quarterback to drop the ball into. And you saw that repeatedly at the Under Armour camp. And at the Under Armour camp, he was a guy that jumped to the front of the line, very competitive, very brash, very confident. He's that guy that gets out there and wants to get as many reps against top co- competition as he can. And so, you know, when we saw him play as well as he did, in the Under Armour camp specifically, because that's really where he's seen the best competition, that was a camp that had pretty good defensive backfield, right? You had D.J. Lee there. uh, You had Seth McDonald, uh, You had uh, several of the top defensive backs uh, in the nation, um, or at least, you know, 25 and 24 class. I think all of those guys, uh, Darius Dixon, are going to be, you know, top, you know, 10, 20 national type of cornerbacks. He did well against all of them. You know, he had his wins against just about every one of those players so in terms of like the consistency at a high level of competition played really well as you mentioned at cathedral which was really his breakout year i mean sophomore Mm -hmm. year was like eh, okay you know junior at cathedral was 83 uh the 83 reception for like 1600 yards 20 touchdowns which was like 1300 more yards than his sophomore season so that was a huge jump in production. Now he's going to Sierra Canyon. He's going to see a little better competition, um, and probably a, a good margin, better competition. Sierra Canyon does play some really good teams um, out of league. So we're going to see, you know, how that goes with, with him, you know, jumping up a little bit in competition. Uh, but I think uh, this is a very sort of like when you look at the, the type of wide receivers that Lincoln Riley seems to kind of gravitate towards, um, and you take, you know, the, the sort of USC centric uh, references out of the picture and you kind of look at what Lincoln Riley has done in developing receivers. And Dennis Simmons, because was by his side for most of this time, whether it be at uh, ECU or Oklahoma, you you look at guys like CeeDee Lamb. You look at guys like Sterling Shepard, Marvin Mims, Ch- Charleston Rambo. That's more of where you see Jordan uh, sort of fitting in, in in terms of comparisons. And uh, it's that six-one, 6 6-foot six flanker that you can move around at different positions. And, and that's sort of where I harkened to that era of USC where you had Robert Woods, Marquise Lee, and Nelson Aguilar. Nelson Aguilar was used all over. They put Nelson Aguilar inside. They put him at the slot. And when you're, you know, 6'1", uh, 185, 190 pounds in college, you can do that. You know, it's a little different than necessarily – you know, moving around a guy like uh, Drake London or trying to move around a guy like Dwayne Jarrett. Those guys tend to be outside receivers, whereas you have a little bit of a Swiss Army knife in the guy that's six foot, 185 pounds, and you can kind of move him all over the field and you just don't move him all over the field. It's a bit of a shell game with your whole receiving core. And that's kind of what you're seeing USC transition to now. Um, It's funny because they were big and then they sort of transitioned to being a lot smaller with Graham Harrell and that sort of Air Raid offense where you want to use more slot receivers. You want to have more guys like Taj Washington. And now you're starting to see him get a little bigger. And this is also sort of reflective of play calling scheme and what coaches like to do in terms of personnel. You have to have some bigger receivers if you're going to have a good run game. You need your wide receivers to be able to block downfield. And so if you've got a bunch of guys who are in that 5'9", 5'10", Sort of range, and they're not necessarily very strong. They're quicker, faster type of slot receivers that do well in space. That's going to maybe hurt your run game, and and we kind of saw USC's run game obviously struggle. And I think while that wasn't you know exclusively because of the smaller wide receivers, the faster wide receivers they were bringing in, I do think that was a little bit of a factor, and it, it probably didn't help very much in the run game. Now you see USC get a little bigger. Um, they're still not necessarily going after a ton of the Dwayne Jarrett, David Osbury type of receivers. Uh, there's not always a lot of those guys uh, in every class, but certainly if you take a gander of the target list, which we just updated uh, for the month of May, you know we haven't uh, had an update in a while. Uh, it is interesting to kind of see what the scholarship offers look like uh, and, and compare that to the physical profiles of those players that USC is recruiting, and that it's for every position. You start to see the the philosophy and the scheme reflected in the type of players that they're looking for and USC has a bunch of flankers and a bunch of guys uh, that they're after that are sort of similar uh, physically in a lot of ways and so um, I think you're going to see you know that six foot one six foot wide receiver with very good speed uh, decent strength can show that they're a willing blocker and uh, can play within the system very well and can move. There's some versatility in terms of where they can contribute and they're not type of receiver where you're just going to put them at X, Y, or Z. Uh, they're going to be guys that move all over the, the, the formation.
1: Jordan had a slew of high-end Power 5 offers, chose the Trojans over offers from Oregon, Colorado, Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Penn State, Tennessee, and Washington, among others, and as you mentioned, when they first offered him, they told him specifically that they really liked his blocking, so that falls in line in what you were saying, Gerard. He is going to take his official visit to USC for that big kind of golden hour, part two, the June 17th through 18 weekend, so they will get him on campus, get him in the ear of some of the guys that they were, the uncommitted guys that they have bringing in, and just one other small note about uh, Xavier Jordan. He plans on majoring in astronomy. I found that very interesting because, you know, we hear a lot about we always ask or I like to always ask, you know, what do you plan on studying in college or studying at the next level? And a lot of them say, you know, like business. But every once in a while when you get a, a unique major, I always like to highlight it. And astronomy, pretty, uh, pretty unique major for a college football player. And as someone who got a concentration in astronomy, I love I love another astronomy boy, Gerard. That's what I'm saying.
0: Well, I did ask him about that because when I spoke to him earlier in the year, uh, you know, I talked a little bit about things away from the football field and, and educationally, you know, locationally. You're always trying to get a feel for those other things that are going to factor into a recruitment. And he did mention astronomy, which you know, my eyes lit up. I I, I like astronomy and uh, theoretical physics, and there's all kinds of interesting topics about that. And, you know, I asked the question that you probably would want be, to be asked, you know, i thinking that's very interesting as well. Why? You know, what is it about astronomy? You know, what, because is there someone in your family that has some type of connection to astronomy? Or is there, you know, some other reason? And, you know, the first answer uh, was, you know, I, I just, I'm just interested in the sky and, and, and how everything works. And, and the clouds and this that and the other and i was like well the clouds in the sky are not necessarily astronomy you're kind of going beyond that you want to go into space and he said yeah no i mean you know really what i am really kind of interesting in is it's like you know you know extraterrestrial life and different planets and life on other planets and i'm like i'm into all that kind of stuff and i go oh wow okay cool cool and, I, and so i said you know do you do you ever uh, listen to the the Joe rog- Rogan podcast because you know he has a lot of different people on there, um, you know thither- theoretical physicists, regular physicists that uh, talk about quantum, uh, you know physics and and all kinds of different things that you might find very interesting. And he's like, no, 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 um, not really, you know. And and I was like, okay, okay, well, you know. And, and then for whatever reason, it popped into my head. Have you heard anything about the, the Tac videos that the Navy released that? Are kind of like being talked about a lot, you know, when it comes to uh, extraterrestrial life and and you know UFOs, etc. And uh, he thought I was talking about TikTok, and he says, "No, I, I don't do social media." And I said, no. I said, "No, no, 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 it's not 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 TikTok, but Tic There's actual videos, and they they call these UAPs U slash UFOs Tic because they look like Tic and there were Navy pilots that were flying F-18 Hornets uh, just off the coast of San Diego, I think uh, even Catalina uh, at some point, and they had all of this infrared and uh, all this radar uh, evidence that these things were going around and they were moving in such a way that it wasn't really physically possible and how we understand gravity and how we understand jet propulsion, uh, so on and so forth. So uh, he was really into that, and I said, "Dude, you know, you gotta, you gotta get on this, man. Like, if that's, you know, that's your passion, or what have you, you know, and you, you, you gotta get into some of these maybe conspiracy theories and things of that nature uh, when talking about aliens and and Bob Lazar and uh, the whole the whole plethora of things." And so, um, yeah, he he, I, I don't know if uh, you know he was ready for all of that yet, but uh, he I was wasn't ready for an experienced
1: theory. conspiracy theorist like uh, Hurricane Martinez. It sounds like.
0: Not, not conspiracy theories. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, I, don't know, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's definitely conspiracy theories when you're talking about extraterrestrial life and their interactions or encounters with humans, because that's sort of taking it to another level when you start talking about men in black and you start talking about actual encounters. Right. But when there's just you mean the documentary evidence, men in black. I don't know about a documentary, man, it's like, oh, you're just making a joke. Okay. I, I'm just, I'm just... Well, there, There's actually a documentary that just came out that's called Moment of Contact, which it's basically the Brazilian Roswell, and it's very, very interesting. I, I saw an interview with the producer, uh, with the creator, and, and he's come out with a couple of documentaries, and uh, I, I have not watched the movie yet, I think ran it on uh, Amazon Prime but it was very interesting him talking about this, this instance, this uh, this event that went on, where you know supposedly a UFO had crashed, and there was actual beings running around this Brazilian town, and there was a bunch of the locals, even some military people that encountered them. You know, there's a whole lot. It's a whole can of worms and everything. And I guess when you start to get to that level of, of stuff, then then you start talking about well, how, what's the cover up, right? Because you know, obviously we don't know this to be true. And it's and it's not something that was made public when it happened. It sort of came out in the woodwork after people started you know, coming forward and, and they started talking to some of these people. And um, so then so then you start to get into conspiracy theory land with that kind of stuff. But I, I mean, but just the, the, the discussion or having an interest in astronomy because you have an interest in, you know, life on other planets and, and potential intelligent life, uh, whether it be, you know, uh, galactic or, or somewhere in the universe I, I mean I think you know mathematically it, it seems like very improbable that there wouldn't be life elsewhere so I don't know if that's a conspiracy theory so much as it's just uh, an interest in something that clearly hasn't been proven yet um, but he wants to be you know in that field because he's, he's interested in that kind of stuff so yeah but that doesn't necessarily open up the Pandora's box of you know Bob Lazar and all these crazy things that you know people have uh, claimed happened here on this Uh, planet which i say crazy i shouldn't say crazy it's you know people have their stories they have their encounters and they obviously believe those um but you as a rational human being look at it and say okay show me the evidence
1: let's call it a thirst for the unknown for the unexplored areas of the universe gerard i i'm not i'm not really sure if i could mark it down for ufos as as part of the timestamps. i don't know if i'll do that but I'm going to be really disappointed if that whole segment or anything that we just talked about or Gerard talked about is not one of the three GIFs that describes this episode. So we have a Parasol user who has been uh, recapping the every episode in three GIFs, and I'll be very disappointed if this doesn't make it into one of the three GIFs. Just to turn it back to Xavier Jordan and kind of the final point about him.
0: A, 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 to interject, there should be a GIF that represents that you call it a GIF also. That, there's a little bit of a conspiracy theory probably around that.
1: I don't have an hour to go into that, but yes, a GIF, a GIF, <laughs> a Jeff. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. We're going back to the recruiting board and the wide receiver board, and specifically with USC nabbing a commitment here. Are we still thinking maybe like three receivers for this class? It is a heavy junior class for USC, so we're not really sure what's gonna look what's gonna what it's gonna look like for the 2024 NFL draft, who decides to go, who decides to stay. I would be leaning towards Dorian Singer, probably going off the NFL. Brennan Rice has made it clear, at least I don't know if it was a joke or not, but that he aims for this to be his final season. And then Mario Williams, not really sure what he will do. He would need a big season to kind of Uh, leapfrog himself into that draft discussion but heavy junior class for usc i could see them signing upwards of three guys once again
0: yeah it's definitely a little open-ended because you always have it in the back of your head you can get attrition through transfers out right Mm -hmm. and usc Mm -hmm. had a bunch of transfers out this past year and so it is a heavy junior class you know taz washington has been pretty productive you know not necessarily a guy that's a surefire first round, second round, or maybe even third round pick at this point. But with a good season this season, you know, you, he he puts himself out there potentially being uh, that grade. Mario Williams, same thing. You know, we're still kind of waiting for him to have that breakout year. This is kind of the year where I, I think he can do more. Uh, unfortunately, he was hurt for some of the time when Jordan Addison was hurt and and that was A bit disappointing because, you know, when Jordan Addison went down, that was during that stretch where you kind of look to see, okay, who's going to be that guy that really stepped up and it ended up being receiver by committee. You know, there there ended up being like a handful of guys that stepped up. You know, there was guys like Kyron Hudson, CJ Williams. um, You know, he didn't probably play as much. But Kyle Ford was a guy that kind of stepped up and and people were kind of excited about former five-star. He ends up leaving, going to UCLA. You never know how that's going to necessarily shake out, but the guys that are on the roster now, uh, I think out of that group is really Taj Washington, Michael Jackson that kind of stepped up the most among that group. Mm-hmm. So they have, you know, something to, to prove. Obviously you throw Dorian Singer in there. He's transferring USC because he wants to have another big year and to propel himself into the draft. So, yeah, I think, you know, All those guys kind of have an argument for, hey, I'm ready to take that next step. I'm ready to fill in for Jordan Addison. But you know that it's going to be a bit by committee. And it's, you know, how is that ball going to get thrown around? Who's going to get the ball the most? How are they going to feature one player or the other? I think it was a very easy call to feature Jordan Addison, right? Former Politnikov winner Honestly, I think it was a bit of a sigh of relief for USC's coaching staff that you know he was drafted in the first round. I, I've said before it was going to be something that was going to be used against them on the recruiting trail for other transfers if a former Balitnikov winner goes, transfers to USC, doesn't win the Balitnikov that year, and then goes to the second round. So getting him as a first-round draft pick, USC having consecutive uh, first-round draft picks, uh, at wide receiver is 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 kind of a big deal and so you know that's something that will continue to help them on the recruiting trail at the wide receiver position but to answer your question in terms of everybody else now you've got Jordan there and he slotted in there as a as a commitment you know what are the other players what does the board look like and I guess what's the, kind of what what do you bring in to sort of complement maybe what Xavier Jordan brings to the table. And again, this kind of goes to what I was saying. It's a lot of kind of the same, right? There's some similar players there. Um, I think you look at Mike Matthews, who's being recruited as a receiver. He was originally a five-star athlete by 24-7 Sports, uh, but he wants to play wide receiver in college. He's got some connections with USC. He's going to take that official visit, uh, I believe, on uh, June 17th along with, uh, Xavier Jordan. In fact, I think, uh, let's see, Mike Matthews, Ryan Pelham is also got his official visit, I believe for June 17th. Correct me if I'm, I'm wrong on that, Chris, you can look that up as I'm talking, but, um, those two players, you know, also flanker types, uh, Ryan Pelham, not nearly as polished, uh, not nearly like the, the route runner that Xavier Jordan is uh, maybe a little more of an athlete. You know, he, he's definitely got some more upside to him and when you watch him run routes and everything uh, again not quite you know the effortless sort of natural receiver that Xavier Jordan is uh, but a guy that you know he's, he's about six foot six one um, he's grown a bit but not necessarily so much in height as he's gotten longer you know he's, he's gotten longer arms has a, has a much better catch radius I think now than he did maybe a year or two ago where he was kind of a sort of Hybrid running back type of looking wide receiver. Uh, you also have uh, Draylon Miller, who's coming in for an official visit. He's a little bigger out of that group. So Mike Matthews is like 6'1, 175 pounds, probably pushing 180 at this point. Ryan Pelham, I think, is like 6'1, 175 pounds. And then Draylon Miller, I think, is is listed at like 6'2, 200 pounds. So a little bigger, um, but still not necessarily a guy that I would say is a classic split end type. So that's a group. That physically there's some similarities to Xavier Jordan. It's not like the 2023 class where you had Zach Branch, Makai Lemon, and, and and Jacoby Lane, which are all very different wide receivers. All those guys sort of have their own niche. Zach Branch is the super dynamic, explosive slot receiver, you know, like I said, built like a, an army ant. You know, he's he's small, but he's very strong, and he's the type of guy that you want to get the ball in space to. Then you've got Makai Lemon, who kind of does a bunch of different things. You know, he's very versatile. There's people that still pound the table and say he would be a better cornerback than he would even be wide receiver because he's so aggressive. He's so physical. He has a very dog-like mentality, uh, but also a guy that's just a, a, a big-time player and seems to make big-time plays at crucial moments. Uh, and then you had Jacoby Lane, who's the, the, the 6'4", 190-pound receiver, the clear split end, you know, the clear sort of – Dwayne Jarrett type of receiver that you're going to put on the outside. He's going to be the 50-50 ball type guy. Now, when it comes to bigger receivers, USC is recruiting. Joey Olsen is kind of a big receiver slash tight end. So, you know, there's there's that to keep in the back of your mind. Uh, but we haven't seen, like, that, that prototypical slot, prototypical flanker, prototypical split end in this class. It's one of those things where, from a replacement standpoint, it looks like USC is going to get – uh, a few different flankers and guys that kind of can do the same thing. And again, scheme wise, this is a, really what Lincoln Riley did at Oklahoma. He had a lot of guys that were kind of similar builds and they just moved around and they interchanged them. So, you know, you're looking at potentially for sure two, maybe three wide receivers. I think three is sort of what you're covering, but you also have to keep in the back of your mind that you have the portal and you'd have a lot of success grabbing some pretty talented players out of the transfer portal, so whether it's Jordan Addison last year, Dorian Singer this year, Brennan Rice, you know Mario Williams probably a little different situation because he's also obviously, obviously coming over with Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma. But all three uh, out, but of but all out of three Portland, three out but, the portal. Coming out, but even Todd Washington, the, you know, with the Clay Helton staff, that's a hell of a bit. I mean, he was a guy that was, uh, I think, he was All Conference freshman. So they've done a good job being able to go in the portal. It's sort of like the running back position. You know, you, you can look at it and go, man, you know what? You know, you can go and try to over-recruit that position out of high school. But then you know, and this is more so talking about running backs because you're only going to use so many guys on the field at the same time. It's different with receiver because you can put four receivers on the field. You can put five receivers on the field at the same time. Uh, but you always, at least nowadays, have to keep in the back of your mind that do you overextend depth-wise into the high school ranks and go after, th- if you need two guys, but you could use three because you're just not necessarily sure Taj Washington's going to have that big year. Or maybe someone else on the depth chart decides, I'm going to transfer because I'm not happy, like C.J. Williams, which I don't think anybody really saw coming. Do you, do you go and grab that guy out of high school that like, you like, or do you wait and say, you know what, we're going to wait and go after somebody in the porthole who we might love? and know that he's going to be an impact player and know that we can get a guy that's going to be really productive and we, we know what we're getting, right? So that's that's where we are with this. You know, When we start talking about, okay, do you go after two receivers or three receivers? Do you have to go after two running backs or three running backs sort of thing? But I do expect three receivers in this class one way or the other. It's just going to be a, uh, one of those things we you have to evaluate whether there are three wide- – receivers out of the high school ranks that are worth going after and you know you feel good about that you feel like these guys are all going to be good players or do you hold one of those spots and say we're going to wait until the transfer portal and feel like we might get somebody that uh, that brings something different to the table than the guys that we can go after in the high school ranks
1: gerard anything else you want to say about mr xavier jordan before we move on to some quick hitter nuggets
0: uh, no, I mean, again, I, I think um, I, I, the June 16th weekend is interesting because you're bringing in, it looks like all of those receivers we just talked about, Mike Matthews, Draylon Miller, um, Xavier Jordan, they're all going to be on campus together. And so that's going to be something that's interesting if, if USC really tries to say, hey, listen, this is our receiver core. This is, this is the future of our receiving core. You know, we're going to lose two, probably three guys um, this next cycle. And this is how we see you guys fitting in and try to, you know, sort of get them on the same page and feel like they all have a good spot uh, within the system. So, yeah, that's 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 interesting. That, again, they're all coming in uh, on the same weekend. We saw that last year with that boundary corner slash safety position when they brought in uh, Braxton Myers, they brought in uh, Warren Roberson. Uh, they brought in a bunch of those guys that were all that play in that position. And so sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. So we'll see, you know, how this goes for USC this time around.
1: And our next topic deals with sort of the transfer portal and USC's latest transfer portal pickup. That is offensive lineman Emmanuel Pregnon. I don't know if we can we would consider this an unsubstantiated rumor talk, but there has been some stuff popping up on the board about uh, Pregnon, the six foot six, three hundred and eighteen pound redshirt freshman out of Wyoming that USC signed last week is still being pursued by the LSU Tigers. There was also some stuff about how a lot of schools were backing off of him because there was injury concerns. But why would you still be pursuing if there was injury concerns? I don't know. There's a lot of stuff being thrown out there when it comes to Pregnant. But USC, the the thing we know is that he is signed. USC did – Throw that out there. Now, that could just be financial paperwork, financial uh, aid paperwork, excuse me. But they did announce him so they can talk about him similar to obviously Ethan White. He signed with USC back in February. But Emmanuel Pregnon, a little bit of not drama, I would say, but just something that's interesting that has popped up recently on the uh, the LSU boards.
0: Yeah, in terms of what binds you to a school and what Binds the school to a prospect. I don't think that rule with financial aid really matters one way or the other anymore. I'm not 100% sure of that, but I know when trying to follow up about Ethan White, because Ethan White also signed financial paperwork with USC. That's why USC was able to announce that he commit. They were not binded to him through the process as it would have been maybe two years ago. they can announce that, but they don't necessarily get on the hook for that scholarship. And vice versa, you know, Ethan White, while signing financial aid agreement, didn't mean that he was binded to the school. So the first question people ask is: Well, isn't this tampering? You know, he 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 signed with USE, but no, because he's a transfer and this is not a letter of intent. So this is not the same thing. Uh, what is interesting is there's some talk about how the various collectives that are representing USC are handling the process. Uh, Now, it doesn't sound like Pregnon is is going anywhere. You know, there's been no talk that, oh, he's going to still take, you know, an official visit uh, to LSU to any other school. He seems pretty settled in with USC. But we kind of alluded to this last week. You've got a lot of chefs in the kitchen for USC right now when it comes to NIL. So you've got the House of Victory, you've got Tommy Group, you've got the Congress Group, which was, uh, I think, Victory Formation. Um, And then there's, I think, even another group that's that's involved somewhat with NIL. And everybody has their different philosophies. Everybody's approaching things differently. But from the sounds of it, it sounds like there's going to be groups that are going to be involved with retention in terms of getting NIL opportunities for – current players and returning players, and then there will be those that were more involved uh, with the transfer portal. And perhaps one of those groups, some of those groups, will also be involved more with recruits. You know, we talked about this a lot. It comes up on the message boards a lot. But clearly USC's approach just in general does not seem slated towards the four-star and five-star kids coming out of high school. Um, in terms of investment, uh, the people that are involved with these collectives do not seem like they are going to push hard into the realm of upfront money, um, any type of you know, indirect inducement, some of the things that we've seen with other schools, you know, and we've seen in terms of results, you know, how that has maybe handicapped them to some extent recruiting the high school ranks. Now. I don't think this is true across the board. I think there are definitely um, – when it comes to the high school prospects, it's a case-by-case basis. You know, I think that there are some guys that certainly there are going to be NIL opportunities there. USC may not be as aggressive as other schools, but they will still be there. But I think in terms of like an entire class, I don't know that that's there with USC. I don't know that every single guy they bring in on an official visit – or even an unofficial visit is having that conversation of, okay, this is how we're going to set you up financially, uh, which, you know, the sc- colleges themselves and the college coaches themselves are not supposed to be having that conversation with those prospects, right? Wink, that's, wink. Wink, wink. But, you know, I mean, yeah, how do you enforce that? How, how, how does anybody actually know what's being said and what's not being said? Uh, but but that's, again, on the inducement side, which the NCAA says is a violation, And, you know, obviously until there's enforcement there or or somebody actually gets pinched from that, it's all going to be wink, wink. But it's more of the people that are involved with the peripheral of USC and, you know, the collective representation and their contact with each of these recruits, families and their representation through NIL. Because there are plenty of individuals out there right now who are moving and shaking and trying to get themselves involved with the machine of NIL and, and trying to either represent recruits or represent themselves uh, through recruits. You know, there's obviously sports agencies that are involved. Uh, there's a lot of different levels of this right now, and we always talk about it being the wild, wild west. It absolutely is, and it's uh, impacting who's taking official visits where, who's taking unofficial visits where. And certainly the more exposure that you have to a college, uh, the more comfort level, you uh, you know, could have with the particular coaching staff. Uh, there's all these different things that go into actually picking the school. And certainly when you're financially providing some inducement, uh, even though you're not supposed to be, um, it's going to give you a better shot at being able to communicate and have access to Whoever it is within that circle of that prospect, uh, whether it's the prospect, whether it's the, the father, stepfather, god, uncle, whatever it is, um, to be able to, under, to to know what makes them tick. What, what are you looking for? You know, what what is the factor that is going to get you to come to our school? So this whole thing is evolving in, in front of our eyes. And so it, it is interesting to see that, you know, USC has multiple different groups at the table here. And there's going to be and I don't know who's kind of come to the the decision. I don't know if it's just they came to the decision themselves, saying we're going to do this. You're going to do that. Um, But that does have to be done. You know, I talked about last week, there needs to be sort of a SOCOM for all these different groups just to sort of organize like who does what. Because you can have people stepping on each other's toes. You don't want to, you know, have one group that's involved here and you're, you you could end up bidding against each other to some extent. And I say bidding sort of in air quotes, but I, I, you know, talking about, well, you know, we can get this NIL deal for you. You know, here's some endorsements here. And then you have another group that's basically you know working against them sort of thing and, and they're both representing the same university so you do have to be on the same page here there does have to be some communication even though i get the sense there's also some competitiveness and some rivalry going on here so it's uh, interesting. a very interesting situation
1: man. interesting what would we call our nil group gerard The cilantro boys that that just because because green like money green like cilantro you follow you um, follow
0: I yeah yeah, yeah, it could be like uh cilantro holdings yeah, or something yeah it has to have a, a very sort of uh
1: business kind of, twist on it,
0: yeah, like all these very powerful groups uh, whether they are with the government or their private military they they always have these very you know general uh, non threatening type of names you know <laughs> it's, it's uh Uh, You know, what what is it? Global response staff. You know, those are the guys that are like uh, the CIA's uh, contractors that were in uh, Libya. And you're like global response staff. That's (laughs) that sounds like the janitors or something. That doesn't sound like uh, the uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking there's going to be like the Scorpion group or the division or, you know, something that's really ominous. But it's like very like low key. So you kind of have to have one of those very low key, broad sort of names. Uh, that uh, that uh, gives you this uh, sense of like, uh, yeah, these guys are a little mysterious, but they're powerful too.
1: The Cilantro Corporation? That just sounds like a bad yeah, villain.
0: Cilantro so Holdings, I, I think. Cilantro Holdings?
1: I, I think cilantro they, holdings? Uh, okay. Cilantro Holdings, it is, that is the official <laughs> NIL arm of the Composite Two Star Recruits. Let's move on to a little bit of St. John Bosco talk. I was out there recently for practice to uh, talk to a couple of guys. I'm going to go back. They have their big showcase next week with the best barbecue that any high school puts out there. I'm sure five stars only Jared Perez will be out there with me. I always go to that showcase, but I got out there a little early. I believe this was kind of one of their first early practices. Got to talk a little bit to Marcel William Marcellus Williams, excuse me. And uh, St. John Bosco transfer, uh, Jason Mitchell, the athlete from Sarah High School. We're going to talk a little bit about Kingston, Viliamahasa and his top three. So just a little bit of a Bosco theme of the show. Jar, where do you want me to start off?
0: Well, I think it's interesting to talk about Marcellus Williams, the six foot, 175 pound quarterback, brother of Max Williams, who's on the team, uh, started at nickel safety last season. And, you know, I had a conversation with Marcellus uh, earlier in the year and we talked about what he wanted to see from USC this season. You know, wh- what is it? You've seen plenty behind the scenes. He's, um, you know, been around enough that he's seen multiple coaching staffs come and go at USC. So I was like, what more do you need to see from USC at this point? And, you know, he basically was very candid, very honest. And, I want to see the defense actually play well. You know, I want to see them get guys out, develop guys and and have a defense that is giving up, you know, like 24 points a game instead of 44 points a game. And I think that, you know, aligns with a lot of Trojan fans (laughs) right now. They want to see the same things. Just like us. they say when a 17 year old kid says it, it it comes off maybe differently or what have you. Um, But I think it was very candid and very honest. And I think, like I said, it aligns with what Trojan fans. I uh, want to see. So, my conversations with him and and even with his dad, I haven't gotten the vibe like he's USC's to lose, which I think you've felt for a while. I know Blair has felt that. Even talking to Greg Biggins just recently, we were chatting about uh, a few different topics and Marcellus's name came up and I think he feels like he will eventually end up at USC.
1: Well, I've, I've always, always actually this. been the opposite. I've always felt that Marcellus was a leave-the-state kind of guy.
0: Oh, really? I thought, okay, I thought we were think are thinking of I his... think we're
1: thinking of somebody else. But I've always been on the, the call that Marcellus is like a leave-the-state kind of guy.
0: Okay, interesting, interesting. So after this latest conversation, what's your impression?
1: And that being said, I think there's a little bit more of a pull to staying back but I would still lean towards the field with Marcellus Williams. He's always been very honest about the process, you know, just because he is the youngest brother of two older prospects who went through with Max Williams and Mason Williams now at Arizona state. They went through the process. He's watched it from afar. He's had recruiting attention on him since he was a freshman at St. John Bosco. So he's, he's a veteran at this stuff and he always gives really insightful and on his quotes at times. And I talked about he's going to be in his visits right now. He is planning on, he's going to go to UCLA this weekend for his first official visit. He is scheduled to visit USC for the June 16th weekend. And then it's, I don't think it's locked in, but he has plans to visit Oklahoma the week before. And he really likes Oklahoma really wants to get out there. Doesn't seem to be as much traction with Ohio State right now, which was, I know, something that I felt earlier, especially more so with the Bosco guys like Kingston, Billy, Amasa. He seemed a lot with uh, a lot in on Ohio State. Now, Marcellus was, has not seemed that way as of right now. Seems like maybe, you know, staying home is a little bit moving the needle towards that, but I would still pick the field, as I said before. But I asked him, you know, like, You've been to USC more than anybody in the 2024 class, probably. You've actually probably been on a USC official visit already when Max took his official visit. So I was just like, what do you need to get out of it? Or what do you need to see? And he was like, well, basically, there's nothing really that I haven't seen before at USC. He just said, I just want to have a good time. I just want to see who the guys I'm going to be around, see who they're trying to bring me in with, how I mesh with those guys. So those kind of the big things for him because obviously – He has seen everything under the sun with the Trojans, and obviously he gets better insight than most recruits because his brother is literally on the team and can keep it to him real. And he said he actually hopes that Max Williams is
0: his host for that weekend. That would be interesting. I would actually want a host that was maybe different because, I mean, you can always talk to Max. That's what I I thought.
1: That's what I thought. That's why I asked him.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, It is interesting seeing that This uh, how this weekend is growing, and you know, for comparing it to last year, the 17th was the group that was where all the commits ended up uh, visiting. You know, that that were already committed to USC, or the guys that it seemed like were at the top of the list for USC and probably leaning for USC. So you do read between the lines a little bit, and some of those players uh, that have scheduled their official visits for that weekend. And so, you know, we talked about the receivers, Ryan Pelham, Mike Matthews, Graham Miller, uh, but you also have Xavier Jordan there who's you know, now committed to USC and and Marcellus Williams is another one of those local players that clearly is somebody that when you look at the field uh, now that, you know, we have a better idea of some of the other schools that he is seriously considering. Yeah. You feel better about USC's chances. I I think for sure, you know, when uh, Ohio state has done so well, and St. John Bosco over the past, you know, really three, four years, uh, they're not really in the equation so much. It's probably a good thing for USC. Um, but we'll see. You know, we'll see how it shakes out. See, um, I'm sure you're going to have uh, other guys that are, are probably going to officially visit. Uh, I, I know there's already some guys that are locked in that just haven't announced it yet, that are local players for that June 16th visit. And, um, you know, really the, the more interesting thing is probably the out-of-state guys that they bring in, and then the fact that the, the first week, that June 2nd, 3rd uh, week for official visits is is growing and it, it's bigger. It's already probably twice as big as it was uh, last year. So you have uh, more bigger names and um, you have uh, a, a, just a, a bigger group of guys as well. And as you said, Kingston, Viliamuasa is going to be a part of that group. So it's, it's interesting just to see who gets scheduled where. Sometimes that's just how things work out, but other times you know, it's done strategically where you want to have the official, first official visit for a particular prospect or you want those prospects uh, that maybe know each other and are close to be around each other uh, and, and you try to make that, uh, that big official week in that golden hour um, you know, sort of use some synergy there uh, bringing all those guys together. And like I said, you get all those receivers in one room. It's like, listen, this is a team within the team, right? That's what they wanted to do, I think, with the off the line last year. You know, they wanted to bring together their sort of A group and have those guys sort of feed off each other during the week. And I, and I think it worked to some extent when you've got, you know, Micah uh, Benuelos, who I think at that point was kind of maybe leaning toward Oregon. you get got Alani Noah there. Obviously, they didn't work out with Francis Maragoa. Uh, but you had sort of that Polynesian group of guys that I think they wanted to build some camaraderie there and get those guys together, and, and you sort of build some momentum within itself. So maybe that's happening this weekend with the receiver group. Uh, we'll see what happens with the defensive backs. You know, right now it's it's really just Marcellus, uh, who is uh, the, the lone defensive back in that uh, June 16th weekend. But I'm thinking they're, they're going to add some names here. Uh, it's up to like 10, I think, official visitors right now for that uh, big weekend. And then the week before, it's like uh, seven or eight. So, you know, both weekends are, are looking pretty big. But haven't heard anybody coming in a little later. You know, uh, there's a couple more weeks that they could bring in players. Uh, at this point, it seems like they're just filling dates for the first two weeks of the summer.
1: Or as I like to say, strategery coined by our friend Will Farrell. Well, not our friend, obviously, but USC alum.
0: Coined <laughs> by a guy who doesn't know we exist.
1: Yeah, my guy, Will Ferrell, Strategery as Bush. But moving on from that, I guess we can talk a little bit about the other defensive back, Jason Mitchell. You know, he transferred in from Sarah High School. He is playing cornerback for the Braves, you know, spending his whole spring trying to learn their system, trying to learn their defense, trying to learn their scheme for what he hopes is a final big season. We talked about, you know, Wanting to play on a bigger stage like St. John Bosco, a national championship – or national champion last year. Trinity League, best high school conference in the country. He's going to make his commitment September 16th when they play a a team in Hawaii. Gerard, I'm going to butcher it, but Kahua or something. I think I, think I said it right. Kahuku. I, Kahuku. I think that is right. I think that's right. Let's go with Kahuku. The board says Kahuku, so we're going to go with Kahuku. September 16th when they played Kahuku. I'm just saying over and over so I do not forget it. But Kahuku is the name we're using. Now, he is playing cornerback, like I said, listed as a safety, was an athlete at some point, or listed as an athlete, played quarterback at Syracuse, also played wide receiver. He said he's only focusing on cornerback and defense right now because, obviously, when you go to a school like St. John Bosco, you don't need to play two ways. They run too deep at probably every position, so... He is only focusing on cornerback, 6'4, 180 pounds. He talked about his process and how he's going to be taking a lot of officials this summer. Utah's going to get one. Oregon's going to get one. USC's going to get one. Notre Dame is going to get one. The schools that have been on him early are the ones he's going to go on first. He doesn't have a date set for the USC one. I would assume it's going to be the big Golden Hour weekend, that, that 17, uh, 16, 18, whatever weekend. I think it'll be for that one, but he has not locked it in. Officially, he should know in a couple days, uh, at least within a week, he he will know when that date will be. But Jason Mitchell, you know, and we talked about, obviously everyone seems to think he's going to go to USC. He always gives candid quotes about that. He's like, I really don't know where I'm going to go. Everyone just thinks I'm going to go there because it looks right and because of my dad. And he talked about how Lincoln Riley has made it really hard for him to, To leave the state of California, he was honest and said, you know, with the old staff, I it was easy for me to say, I'm not going to go to USC, I'm not going to stay home. But now that Lincoln Riley has arrived, now that that staff is over there and what they did last year, it's making him really hard to think about leaving Southern California. And that that was something echoed by Dakota Fields as well. He said he was set on leaving, but Lincoln Riley has really made it hard to do that. So USC Lincoln Riley are changing the minds of these uh, these local kids that have would normally have uh, ran away from the state uh, happily.
0: Yeah, and I think in order to close the deal, uh, more so on a guy like Dakota Fields, it's got to be Alex Grinch and uh, Dante Williams that convince him not to leave sure. the state. It's going to have to be you know improvement on defense. And, of course, it's brought up, hey, if these guys want to make decisions here over the summer, USC is not really going to have that opportunity to show them improvement on defense. But you know what? Signing day is not July. Signing day is not August. Signing day is in December. And so we can get caught up a little bit in uh, what happens over the summer and dismiss the season having an impact on some of these players. But we know there's a decommit season, and we talk about it every year when we start to get closer into November and so, you know, you kind of – you don't take it with a grain of salt what kids do over the summer, uh, but you know that things can change in certain situations. It's not going to be a wholesale, but they're going to be individuals that, you know, USC has a very good year and they meet expectations, which, you know, obviously they went above and beyond expectations last season. This season expectations are much higher. They're able to meet those and you do see that improvement of the defense Um, I can't remember who it was. You mentioned last week that uh, the projection was the defense was going to be somewhere around like number 35 nationally. Yeah, 34. That
1: was the uh, ESPN FPI rankings or projections. I think they run the simulation like a thousand times or something. I don't know. But that was the expected improvement for them, like 84 to 35, 34
0: that would be huge huge improvement. I mean that would get USC into the college football playoff almost guaranteed. So if you see that type of improvement, yeah, you know, you may see some of these guys commit to an Oregon or commit to another school and it's going to be very difficult to to maintain that commitment when, you know, USC's turned everything around at that point and looks like they're on the cusp of competing for a national title, you know, in the very near future. So I think from that standpoint, um certainly uh, with Jason Mitchell. I mean, you know, a lot of people kind of penciled him for USC with the talk of him uh, reclassifying. reclassifying last yeah. year. Uh, I mean, I heard that plenty. The, the Peristyle lectured me that everybody was reporting that. And I said, I don't think so, man. And, and, and honestly, at that point in time, I don't think USC had a place for him. I, I don't think USC was going to take him at that point. And uh, that's changed now. And I think they've always projected him as a 2024 recruit and they wanted to see him uh, develop uh, as such. And USC was one of the first schools that really recruited him hard as a defensive back, first and foremost, even back when he was really more known as a wide receiver and most of his production came at the receiver position. I think now what's intriguing about Jason Mitchell is, you know, kind of looking for that next Eric Gentry and looking at Jason Mitchell and seeing a guy that's, you know, legitimate 6'4, 190 pounds, um he's played all over the field, you know, I think it was a detriment to him. He, he did it for his team to play quarterback. Uh, but he knew, and I think everybody knew that's not going to be his position. He just happened to be the best athlete on the field for Sarah, and they needed somebody there that could just make plays. Uh, but that wasn't you know the position that he's going to play in college, and it really wasn't his best position. He would have been better off playing receiver and playing quarterback. And now that he goes to St. John Bosco, he's able to focus on that one position, which is a position that he hasn't had a lot of focus on. You know, a really wide receiver, I think, coming up and growing up was a bit more of the position that he had trained at. Now he's going to be able to focus in specifically uh, at defensive back. But I think it is intriguing seeing him potentially move inside, being more of a nickel player. Um, I don't know if he's a pure cornerback, a a guy that you're going to put out there, uh, whether it be boundary or field side. I do think that that nickel position is that hybrid position, which you can do a lot of different things at. You can have multiple type of players playing that nickel position because you're going to have instances where maybe you want to get a bigger player in there. And and I've talked about in the past with what USC has now at linebacker, if uh, Tackett Curtis is able to make that jump and actually contribute as a true freshman at Mike, it gives you the opportunity of putting Mason Cobb over at Will and maybe kicking out Eric Gentry. Uh, at at the nickel spot in fact. Uh, or if you're playing against the team and you're a little worried that he's gonna end up having to play all these little slot receivers and potentially get exploited, uh, you can go and put Max uh, Williams there, or you could put another player there. You know, it it's a real sort of hybrid position that could have multiple positions within the position. And then that's just the way that college football is now. It's such a lateral game that um, you know with all this RPO and all the screens and everything It just depends from week to week who you want to put there. And, you know, you can be very aggressive and actually, you know, present mismatches potentially for the offense. You know, they're going to try to to present mismatches for you, but when you have multiple types of athletes at one position, uh, you you can do different things there. And so you're playing against Utah. Hey man, we're going to go put Eric Gentry out there. The difference between Eric Gentry and Max Williams uh, over that slot, if, Utah wants to put a tight end out there is it's pretty different. I mean, you know, that's, that's, those are two very different players. You're talking about five, eight, you know, 185 pounds versus a guy that's 6'6, 210 pounds. And um, so, you know, when I look at Jason Mitchell, I see a guy that's done a lot of different things athletically and he does have some physicality to him. I think he's an intriguing player when, you know, we get asked that question, who's the next Eric Gentry? You know, I don't know if you can just go out there and look for that guy every cycle. But, you know, maybe these taller type of defensive backs are guys that can eventually morph into that type of player.
1: It's Mighty Morphin, Jason Mitchell time. And then the last part of that, as we touched on, is Kingston, Viliyama Asa, USC in that top three with Ohio State and Notre Dame, which I correctly pointed out. But I guess anyone could have done that. But Kingston is narrowing down his focus to those three schools will take his three official visits in June and then make a commitment after that. It's typical with that Bosco timeline is take those official visits, get it out of the way before the senior season so they can focus on their senior season. But I would say Kingston is definitely the number one linebacker on Brian Odom's board. Maybe not to the level of Tackett Curtis the year before, but the question is, Gerard, Can Brian Odom beat out Ohio State once again for his top linebacker prospect?
0: Yeah, for a local player. And I think, you know, certainly with Kingston, Ohio State has had the lead for quite some time. And you're better versed on the Tackett Curtis uh, commitment and recruitment. And you called it, you know, well before you felt like USC had a better shot than a lot of people were giving them. And uh, he ends up at USC. So I, I don't know how long if it was Ohio State was kind of the leader for a while, or it was really sort of open and it was, you know, who's going to impress you from day one. But I can tell you with Kingston, Billy Amuasa, it's been Ohio State. And and as I said before, Ohio State's recruited St. John Bosco very well going back to the Wyatt Davis days. uh, And they've had a lead for him for quite some time. And so, you know, when they lost Dylan Williams uh, the linebacker out of Long Beach Poly, who's basically eliminated USC at this point, is the other top local linebacker. Uh, it's all hands on deck for Kingston Villiamuasa. And not to say that he wasn't already a priority. I, I think you go and try to get both of those players. They're, they're a bit different, um, but now it's like we need to get this guy. And when you look at the linebacker board just in general, again, referencing the target list that we put up, there's not a lot of heavy hitters there that, USC's going into the summer trying to basically close out the deal, right? Kingston Villanoff is, is kind of the only guy. Uh, another one who I think has high interest in USC right now is Anthony Smith, who's 6'1", 200 pounds, out of Jasper, Texas, uh, number 38 uh, linebacker in the nation, a three-star, a different kind of player, really kind of a smaller type of outside linebacker. Um, but they don't have a lot of – Uh, traction with a lot of the bigger name linebackers. You know, Braden Platt is another guy that might take an official visit to USC, but I don't think USC is in his lead schools right now. Um, Naki Tuokoi is another guy that, you know, we've talked to in the past who's kind of a linebacker, edge rusher type uh, that may end up taking an official visit to USC. He's been pretty quiet lately. He would be a a big-time player, but again, a guy that I wouldn't necessarily say USC has a lead for or would be trying to close the deal on at this particular point in time. Um, so we're going to see, you know, uh, in terms of how many guys they want to recruit out of this class. Uh, again, you always have that ability to lean on the portal, and that could be something that they have in the back of their minds, that they're not going to overextend trying to recruit the linebacker position out of high school. And then the
1: final part of these uh, recruiting updates is Long Beach Millikin wide receiver Ryan Pelham. Obviously, we talked about a receiver to start the show. Xavier Jordan, Ryan Pelham is firmly on that board. I've actually been on the train of USC the one picking up momentum for Pelham in his recruitment. I know Oregon really looms large there as well as the Tennessee and some SEC schools. But I don't know. I saw him at the spring game. Seemed to be having a lot of fun. I saw him leave. He was like the last one off the field with his uh, brother. And then Luke Hurd was with him as well. Literally like the last people off the field. They were doing something on the parasol, and I have no idea. But he, I feel like, is trending towards USC. He is also going to take a visit for that Golden Hour Part 2 session on June 17th. So USC is going to get their final shot, or not final shot, but a big shot for Ryan Pelham, who is looking to wrap things up with his recruitment as well going into his senior year.
0: Yeah, I think uh, uh, the thing is that USC is not going to get the final shot Oregon's going to get the final shot. And as you alluded to, Oregon has kind of been the leader for a while with him. Uh, you know, his uncle, uh, Don Pelham, had coached at Oregon for a number of years. And so, you know, that's best kind suits of the, in the game, best suits in the game. Uh, family sort of always been around Oregon and very close to Oregon. Um, Jordan Addison, his former um, uh, wide receiver teammate uh, when they were both at Milliken. Uh, already committed to Oregon. but like you said, I think USC has definitely gained uh, quite a bit of um, you know momentum, momentum with him oh, yeah o- over over the past I say couple months, uh, it went from you know USC really not having uh, really any momentum with him at all. it seemed like and it seemed like okay, you know USC's really just not involved with him uh, to picking it up quite a bit more recently. so, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how that shakes out for him. Uh, interesting prospect, like I said, a a bit more raw, uh, than, uh, than, than Xavier Jordan. Um, but still sort of, you know, like I said, in that six foot range, 175 pounds, um, similar player in terms of profile and what have you. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see if, you know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, we look at the, uh, the, the, the golden hour success rate versus not getting the last visit. You know, that's kind of what is shaking out at this point. And um, I'm sure there's some Trojan fans that are you know, just chomping at the bit to say, oh, you know, see what happens when you don't get the last visit. And there's others that are saying, hey, you just got to wait and, and see what happens because uh, the golden hour was, uh, was very good for us.
1: And also, it's a wide receiver. USC fans should not be worried about wide receiver recruiting in general. But yes, you never, you always want to get that final visit when it comes to high school recruiting. But we'll see how that plays out and what should be a very, very busy June. Gerard, it's time. It's that time of the show. We're going to take a quick break and then we come back. We're going to talk about a bunch of new offers. And then we're going to go and dive back into our old 2021 draft rewind since we didn't have a a ton to talk about i do want to to get a get a get a re what's the word a reaction to you for what you drafted back in 2021 for we what we both drafted excuse me so we'll be right back after this break Gerard, how you doing? How you doing?
0: I'm doing good. I'm, I'm ready to make that reaction to me. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm interested to do that.
1: You're fired up and no, you're not. I can't really tell if you're being sarcastic there, but I'm going to go ahead and say I'm, you weren't.
0: I'm definitely, definitely being sarcastic. I'm definitely being sarcastic based on uh, how you uh, presented. Uh, the this, re- this reaction piece that I'm supposed yeah, to do. Yeah, I,
1: I, again, I, once again, for the second straight week, I, I word vomited all over the podcast. So again, I apologize. <laughs> I'm, I'm due for like one every episode and that was my one. I promise I'm going to be better. But before we do that and get that reaction piece going, I do want to run down some new offers. There have been a ton of offers since our last show with USC coaches on the road I mean, we don't have to get super into it, but I'm just going to give a rundown of where they're at. I'm going to start with the 2025s and the 2026s because obviously the 2024s are the most interesting with this being in that cycle. But with the 2026s, you have unranked Withrow, Ohio wide receiver Chris Henry Jr., which is the the son of the former late Cincinnati Bengal wide receiver Chris Henry. You have unranked Rock Christian Maryland Safety, Jarae Edwards. Rock Christian being the school. Actually, Sam Green first started out before he transferred to St. Francis. So something in the water there over at uh, Rock Christian, Upper Marlboro, Maryland. Unranked, Forney, Texas. Running back, JV and Osborne in the 2026 class also picked up a USC offer. Now for a bunch of 2025 offers. Four-star, Arborview, Nevada. Linebacker, Christian Thatcher picked up an offer. Four-star, Cast Technical, Michigan safety Alex Graham picked up an offer four star enterprise Alabama linebacker Eric Winters picked up an offer four star Ben Davis cornerback Mark Zachary with an offer five star Troy Alabama edge rusher Zion Grady who is the number one ranked edge rusher in the 2020 24/7 sports rankings four star Belleville Texas defensive lineman DJ Saunders that actually hit today. Four-star Winton Woods, edge rusher Justin Hill picked up an offer. Four-star Chetlaham, Pennsylvania edge rusher Charlatan strange, and that is Charladan with two eyes at the end of it. I just needed to point that out. Three-star Southlake Carroll, Texas, tight end Jack Van Dyslayer, 2025, tight end out of Southlake Carroll. And then moving on to the 2024s, three-star Beaumont, Texas offensive tackle Weston Davis, who, very similar to Trenton Ferguson, the Oregon offensive line commit that USC also recently offered in the 2024 class, has a basketball background. Weston Davis also plays basketball as well. It's 6'4", 295 pounds. Three-star Pike Road, Alabama defensive lineman Malik Blockton, 2024 defensive lineman. And then four-star Mainland, Florida defensive lineman, L.J. McCray, who was a national defensive line prospect. Gerard Mainland, isn't that where uh, Leonard Williams went? Yep,
0: Daytona Beach Mainland.
1: You ever been? No,
0: never been to Daytona Beach. No, never.
1: Okay, well, those are the offers. I wish I had some water because I used a lot of saliva going through that list, but a bunch of offers on the table. Oh,
0: such a rookie. That's a rookie. Come on. Yeah, <laughs>
1: I, I'm out of breath over here. Ugh. I don't know if there's anything you that stands out about these offers. It is interesting that it seems like there's been a lot of offensive line and defensive line in the 2024 class. Looks like they're reshaping that board for this summer.
0: Yeah, uh, you could read in that a little bit. You know, maybe the the feeling of uh, the offensive line was going to be good with uh, some of the local players. You know, you had DeAndre Carter there and Brandon Baker at Modern Day, and you lock those guys up. You get Devin Brooks from uh, up in uh, Calakamas, Oregon, and you're kind of like on your way. So, you know, maybe there's some feeling like we need some plan B's here. We need some other guys. Um, i only guy that really, – it's funny because I, I had this conversation with uh, the head coach, uh, Jeff Fleener at the Forney, uh, when the USC was trying to recruit uh, Aaron Flowers. He talked about Javian Osborne, and uh, he knew that uh, when Kyle McDonald was going to be out there visiting, he says, he's going to offer this kid. <laughs> this is another big time uh, player uh, and uh, he's going to get a bunch of offers. So uh, Jamie and Osborne getting that scholarship offer from USC, which was kind of predictable, but you know, a lot of 2025, 26, that's going to be the bulk of it because of these days, really a lot of the evaluations that um, go into the the current class is going to be done in January. And so a lot of those scholarship offers go out in January. Uh, May is now sort of the, the next cycle and the cycle after that. So, in this case, 2025, 2026, um, we may see, you know, even some some 2027 offers here uh, coming pretty 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 soon. Uh, I think with USC, they want to get a lot of those younger guys on campus for camps, and so you see, you know, something come from that as well. Uh, whereas, you know, the actual current class, at least going by last year, just didn't see a lot of those guys on campus. You know, you did not have um, last summer any of the top 2023. Uh, prospects that actually camped at any of the elite camps uh it was all sort of just the the end of the year passing tournament that they had uh which was which was really good and they had a bunch of good teams and they had a bunch of of good players but the actual camps where i think the the players are able to get more of that one-on-one tutelage from the coaches and and maybe create a little more of a bond that was all younger guys so I mean, strategy-wise, just going from last year, it seemed like, you know, that's what USC was going for, for the younger players, uh, the underclassmen, and sort of build up, uh, you know, some of the relationships there, um, and then uh, not worry so much about uh, the pending class being on campus during the summer.
1: Many more offers to come as the coaches are still on the road. They'll go out to multiple places across the country, and we'll keep you updated with those offers on the Peristyle. I post them all as they come in, so Stay tuned on there. Gerard, let's now dip into some fun and take a look back at our GM abilities and look at our 2021 draft class, if you will. If you don't know what we're talking about, back in 2021, Gerard and I did this uh, class draft where we went back and forth and drafted the 2021 class. We would take prospects off the board and put them in our class to see who could build the best class with the available prospects of guys that have been offered by USC. Nobody read the articles. We've talked about this. We've joked about this. And to be fair, USC was coming off a horrendously bad 2020 class, and they just lost in the COVID season of the pac championship. So no one really give a shit. So that's not on you. I I get it. But we did put a lot of work into this. So by God, if we're not going to get some content or talking points out of this. We already went over the first, and I believe the second round from our first, when I first brought it up, uh, maybe like five episodes ago, but Gerard, just a refresher. I took defensive end Corey Foreman with my first pick. You took Tristan Lay, the former five-star offensive tackle out of Fairfax, Virginia. And then you doubled up or came back big with the trenches again and took JT Tua Malo, Tua, I can't say it. Help me out here. Tui Molowau. Tui Molowau. Tui Molowau. And then I came back and took J.C. Latham with my second pick in the second round. And then you took J.J. McCarthy, quarterback out of Illinois with your pick. And then I rounded it out with Trayvon Henderson out of Hopewell, Virginia, now at Ohio State. So Gerard, that was our first and second rounds. Are you ready to dive into our third round selections?
0: Yeah, because I have no idea. You could just make stuff up.
1: I can make stuff up. I have the you article
0: just, here. You could just throw names out there and I I wouldn't have remembered like who I picked. I, you, don't I, I like, you don't have any idea. You
1: don't have any idea. I
0: feel picked. like I did go I did go heavy offensive tackle. Like I, I got two left tackles early on. <laughs> I feel okay. like I, if I remember correctly, but. You, I you are remember. remembering
1: correctly because you did take an offensive tackle with your first pick of the third round. So, Gerard, you're not as off as you think you are with this. Go on. Hold on. Sorry. I was writing that down just so I can mark it, but you don't want to guess who you took. You have oh, no idea. Oh, yes,
0: God. Um, for some reason, I feel like it was a player that ended up at Ohio State, but.
1: Did not end up at Ohio State. Is a sort of West Coast kind of kid. You took offensive tackle Kingsley Suamatea.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Kingsley just transferred over to BYU. uh,
1: uh, I think it was last year. Out of Orem, Um, Utah, went to Oregon, then uh, transferred to BYU, as you said, and you know, projected right now to maybe be a first round pick next season. So we'll see how that plays out. But Kingsley, you were right, Shard. You went big on the offensive tackle early.
0: Yeah, I felt like I, I, like I that was that was that was where I was like beating you early on in the draft. <laughs> I felt like, man, I got two like legitimate left tackles, and now obviously Tristan Lay hasn't really done a whole lot at Clemson. Certainly, uh, J.T. Latham is the better player of those two. Let's uh, go, baby. Let's go, baby. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, Latham was one of those guys that was like two hundred seventy pounds coming out of high school, and Lay was a little more of like the three hundred five pound, you know, ready-made type of player. And uh, just looked like he was going to hit the ground running at uh, Clemson, who, you know, just a couple years previous to that point, had gotten Jackson Carr away from or Jackson Carr, uh, Jackson Carmen uh, away from USC out of Ohio. You know, that was one of those uh, battles that USC had and uh, they ended up losing out to him. And so you kind of felt like, OK, you know, Clemson's got something going there. They're, they're going and getting some good offensive linemen. And so I think that was the thinking behind Tristan Leigh but I did feel good because there was some redundancy to see there at a premium position. Christopher, Chris, Christopher, no, Christopher, Christopher, Christopher
1: Robbins. Yes, you wrote about it. You were high fives all around in the USC war room after this one. And I would agree. you got those two franchise tackles. You, you were sitting pretty good, uh, Gerard, going to the third round.
0: Yeah, that, I, I I felt it.
1: I felt it then. I feel it now, too, actually. <laughs> okay. He feels, he, he, now he's getting the feelings back that he crushed me. With my second pick, I saw that uh, you went quarterback within your second round, so I decided to go with the quarterback here. Do you have any idea who I took quarterback? I'll give you a hint. They are from California. I took a California quarterback. No, I don't. Okay. I took uh, I don't. number – Fifty overall in the twenty-four-seven sports rankings, perhaps the Greg Biggins love child, Tyler Buckner, out of San Diego. California.
0: Oh, Tyler Buckner! Yeah, we always uh, that in the uh, in, in the Bradford kid, uh, it? not Mark Bradford, but um, the quarterback that went to Oklahoma. We always we always uh, joke with Greg that you know where were you at that time <laughs> uh, during the Nike camps, Greg, because uh, <laughs> he reminds us. Of Greg and, yeah, Tyler Buckner, um, another another guy that uh, has a little spitting image of, of Mr. Biggins. But, um, yeah, so now going to Alabama. Uh, he just transferred out. Uh, I don't know if that's looking so good for you, Chris.
1: Uh, well, it, I don't think it's looking good for anybody because, obviously, he <laughs> flamed out at Notre Dame. But also it probably doesn't look good for Alabama that they're desperate for a transfer quarterback or what have you with the guys that they've recruited. Uh, over the last couple of years, they're like, ah, these guys aren't it. I need to go to the portal, get Tyler Buckner. Again, I still think he has good potential. Maybe not what he was going to be when we th- what he thought he was going to be when he was coming out of high school. So, yeah, I, I am not loving this pick. But at the time, I was fired up about it, Gerard. I, I thought I, I really like Tyler Buckner coming out of high school. As we can see, that hasn't panned out. But I would say my war room was very happy about grabbing a quarterback here in the third round.
0: Yeah, I mean, hey, listen. I, again, if we're, we're going by value position and how the draft goes with the NFL, yeah, you want to get those top players at the top end of the draft. And um, you know, I went with J.J. McCarthy because he just he had some good mobility, showed a good arm. It wasn't like a great quarterback class, if I recall. You know, it was kind of a, a struggle to some extent. Um, you know, to to to, to grab. Let me see if I can pull that up. Was, I, I would say I would say this. I would say this. It wasn't a great quarterback class in terms of the players that USC was basically looking at. Sure, um, because
1: the top two were Quinn Ewers and Caleb Williams. Those were their the guys.
0: Yeah, Caleb. I was gonna say Caleb Williams was a part of that class, and but USC just just they were not involved. And I and there were and we have to remind people there were parameters to which we we drafted these players from, and I can't, it wasn't just offers either. Wasn't it? Wasn't it like some, wasn't there something else there that, that we, we used. uh, Let me, uh, let
1: let me see the rules and parameters uh, here. I'm going to run through them. The current USC 2020 commits list is wiped clean. If you want those prospects as part of our draft class, you have to reselect them. No five-star selections after the first two rounds, all selections must be a USC scholarship offer except for the seventh round all selections in the final 3 rounds must be pro- must be prospects ranked outside of the top 247 all picks are made with the current defensive and offensive scheme in place yeah so those were our rules that we sent for ourselves so no five stars after the first yeah. two
0: rounds so that was yeah that was it was a weird year because I mean that was Jackson Dart year 2 and and obviously later in the year he became you know, yeah. he, he would have been the guy he was a dude would have taken over you know JJ McCarthy but you had Jake Garcia in there um, so, yeah, Caleb Williams and Quinn Ears, those guys were never really serious about USC, never really, you know, in that conversation with USC. And so, you know, not to say J.J. McCarthy was ne- necessarily uh, a, a prime uh, prospect for USC. He I mean, he ended up being a five star, though. But I, was that later in the year? See, when, when we did this, this was like over the summer, correct, if I recall?
1: Yes. No, he was a five-star. Yeah, you just so, you took him in the first two rounds, though, so that was you were eligible for that. Oh, I did. I did. Okay. Yeah, All so you were so, eligible so
0: what, for that. so what we've learned is that we both suck because neither of us <laughs> took Caleb Williams. It's basically what we were learning here.
1: Right. Neither of us took Caleb Williams. That bad. That yeah, he, he, he did, I, he did I, have yeah, an but, offer, though. He did have an offer, though. So technically he was eligible, yeah, but he was committed to Oklahoma, so I we were never going
0: to take him. We
1: were never going to take him.
0: Man, I, don't, I just don't remember USC even offering him a scholarship. But you know what? I, I don't really remember ears so much. But again, they're just names. You know, I mean, when you're just talking about scholarship offers, listen, you just named up a bunch of kids who got scholarship offers in the 2025 class. Guess what? Probably <laughs> 75% of those names never ever have any serious interest in USC, won't be involved, won't visit USC officially. It's, you know, that's, that's, a, it's, it's a real vague almost to say, oh, you got a scholarship offer from USC. Um, so the parameters probably should have been even tighter than that. You know, and maybe people would have taken more interest because, <laughs> again, you know, we're drafting JJ McCarthy and it's like, who, you know, like, is that a guy that's going to end up at USC? No, you know, USC ended up with Jake Garcia and, and Jackson Dart at, at that point. And, and Miller Moss. Uh, Miller Moss. Yeah. I remember Jake Garcia so. went to Miami.
1: Now he's on the move
0: yeah, again. He committed. So, at, at first it was Miller, Miller Moss and it was uh, Jay Garcia that were committed for the longest time. And then, uh, you know, I think USC started looking at Jackson Dart going, oh, man, you know, this guy, we should we should give a look to him. And Jay Garcia was, was out the door at that point. So, uh, yeah. Miller Moss, uh, last you know, one standing. Last one standing, yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, I'm excited to read your second pick of the third round because I really want to see if you remember this person. Uh, oh, God,
0: <laughs> if I remember <laughs> this person, oh, man, that doesn't spell out for uh, his his development over the past couple of years.
1: No, d- not because I think you really like this player, um, but I don't know if you're like going to remember, like if you just erased it, uh, but it was a cornerback. I don't know if that helps you think about it. No, OK, you drafted you drafted uh, Nyland Green.
0: Oh, Nyland Green. No, oh, no, that's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, I oh. liked him a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah I liked yeah. him a lot.
1: I remember you uh, fired up. I liked
0: him, I mean, Ny- Nyland Green, uh, Nate Wiggins were, were sort of like similar type of players. In fact, Ny- with Nyland Green, I-, I will say this: I was ahead of the curve on him um, <laughs> in terms of him as a player, and Nate Wiggins for that matter. I mean, I I like both special, those guys Dread like Dread When uh, when they popped up on the radar for USC and USC started recruiting them, and you know, I always look at uh, the, uh, the 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 film of, of, of those players and. And for whatever reason yeah I was like yeah nine green I, I liked him a lot. Um, I don't know I mean actually don't know how much he's played at, at Georgia but I, I, I want to say he's had a decent career at Georgia. Do you have see now you need to have these these bios and some stats here uh, for the current you know the present, the present day so you can throw them at us so we can kind of see I mean they're still earlier in these players' careers right like we don't know what's going to happen with Tristan Lee and we don't know what's going to happen with some of these players. They might, you know, turn the corner. J.J. McCarthy's been pretty good for 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 Michigan. You know, he's he's their starting quarterback. I, I believe.
1: Yeah, for Nyland, looking it up right now, it looks like he is in line to be one of the starters for this season. You know, a little bit of a competition, but uh, we'll see. He, I think, he started for their uh, Green started at cornerback for the uh, for the spring game. So. It looks like he'll at least be in the rotation, but in line to maybe be a starter for uh, for Georgia next this year. So,
0: yeah, I, I, I would say... I, I'd heard some good things about him.
1: Yeah, so uh, that's a good pick for you that has uh, developed well. And USC was involved there, for sure, I think.
0: They were a bit... Not as, not as much with Nate Wiggins. I mean, early on, it seemed like Nate Wiggins, USC had a really good shot at him. Nate Wiggins is the reason why I don't make crystal balls anymore, okay? Nate oh wow!
1: Interesting story.
0: Okay, so 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 this is the, and this is the explanation and and outside of them being kind of gimmicky and there was something that twenty four seven started doing just to kind of get some traction. You know, you had rivals, you had scout, and nobody knew what twenty four seven was. So you know, they had to have new things and different things. But truthfully, the issue with the system is, and Nate Wiggins is a great example of this. So Nate Wiggins, USC is recruiting him. It's USC. It's LSU. It's Florida. Uh, Georgia really wasn't very involved at that point. And so USC low-key thought they might get him committed before the summer. And there was a lot of confidence there. Dante Williams was on him, had a really good relationship, and it was kind of one of those low-key under... He was a little under the radar at that point. I think he might have been a four-star, but he was a very low four-star. And this is a guy, you know, 6'2", 6'3", corner, lanky, but showed a lot of speed, uh, showed physicality on film. And so... USC is going head to head, and I believe he commits to LSU. Corey Rain is there. LSU is DBU. It's like, okay, you know, USC lost out, but it was was closer than a lot of people think. So at that point, USC is okay, you know, it's kind of a a, a done deal uh, to, 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 to a large extent. And then we start hearing that he might decommit. Things start to happen at LSU. There's obviously a lot of issues at LSU at that point in time a lot of off-field stuff that's going on and we're hearing his mom actually wants him to be closer to home. And so that kind of takes USC out of the equation and he decommits. So I'm asking around, you know, is is USC going to get back involved? Nope. You know, the mom kind of steered him away initially. And it sounds like she's going to steer him even closer to home. Now SC is not going to be one of the schools he's going to look at. So SC is completely out of the equation, but our crystal ball, which was correct at that point, was predicting him to commit to LSU. And we predicted that. He committed to LSU. But I'm still on the hook now for wherever he goes, unknowingly. <laughs> and I'm not even paying attention to his recruitment at this point, right? Because USC is not in it at all. And I'm not one of those guys that just sits there and looks to see, oh, well, where did everybody else pick their crystal ball? And let me sneak in here at the 11 hour to do that. And so he ends up committing to Clemson. And it's Clemson. And I actually in Florida was, was making a big push. And Florida was kind of like mom's favorite, but he ends up comm- committing the, to the Clemson. So I get docked now on that prediction because he commits to Clemson. It didn't reset. It's got to reset, Chris. It's got to reset at that point where he commits to LSU. I'm <laughs> right. Starts screaming. It has then, to
1: reset into his computer in his garage.
0: Then he decommits and it resets and he goes to Clemson. And it's like whatever. Okay, fine. You know, out of sight, out of mind. Basically, at that point. But then we get docked because he commits to Clemson and I and I. Didn't have a prediction. I was, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know where he's going. I, I mean, maybe Florida is what I heard. But again, he is no longer being pursued by USC. He's no longer considering USC. He's out of sight, out of mind. And he goes to Clemson cool. But I mean, I shouldn't be docked on that prediction of him going to Clemson because I was right the first time sort of thing. So yeah, that that's a, a little backstory as to the whole crystal ball nonsense. And again, I mean, it's gimmicky. I never liked it to, to begin with. I never felt like that was the way we should be informing uh the subscriber base or or the fans of of what's happening that conversation happens on the peristyle we talk about that we we get into the nuances of of these recruitments it's not just hey i'm just gonna throw a a, a prediction out there and and pretend that i'm some type of guru that can tell the future like come on that's that's silly but uh nevertheless uh that's uh going into um some some sort of sidebar there on uh (laughs) the, the the process but nate wiggins and, uh, and Nyland Green, were like, yeah, two guys in that class that I, w- I was really high on uh, as uh quarterbacks that USC was recruiting.
1: So Gerard has crushed his two picks in the third round with Kingsley, you know, being a projected maybe first round pick next year. And then Nyland, you know, still with Georgia and going to be maybe a starter this year for that tremendous defense. While my Tyler Buckner is in the transfer portal, although he is at Alabama. But my second pick in the third round has not panned out. Wide receiver Cody Jackson out of Richmond, Tennessee, signed with Oklahoma, played very little in that first season, entered the transfer portal, landed at Houston, played very little as there there as well, and then opted to transfer in the middle of the season. Whereabouts? I have no idea. But it does not matter because this was a terrible
0: pick by me, Drew. <laughs> yep. That, that's, uh, that's the way it looks, at least right now. I mean, again, it's, it, it is a bit early, you know, to uh, – to uh to say you know we've got um you know some guys that are there that i mean obviously with COVID year and everything there's there's extended eligibility as well to, to consider but um yeah that sounds like uh not 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 looking great for you for that not looking great
1: of a third round.
0: The, the the draft is built on like the fourth and fifth rounds in the later rounds so we're gonna have to see how we do as as things go on neither of us has picked Caleb, Caleb Williams which again <laughs> to be fair. I feel like that would have been such a, you know, it's just such an, an outlier offer that just, I mean, we would not talked to Caleb Williams. We, it just, he was never considered. Speak for you
1: yourself. I had that. talked to Caleb Williams.
0: <laughs> oh, you had, you had, you had, that's right. You, you actually had to, taught him how to swim. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Did so, I? so I, so yeah, so I'm, so right now it's Christian Lee is really the one that I'm waiting on. I mean, McCarthy is a, is a college football playoff. Starting quarterback, probably top what five, ten in the draft uh, in that class. Um, so he's he's not 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 too bad. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, I think Neil and Green. I feel pretty good about that, even if he hasn't necessarily have a ton of production behind him. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I think yeah, if Lee can come around for me, like the top end of the, the class is looking pretty good there for.
1: Uh, for you you're killing this draft because your next pick. Is a really good pick as well. You took uh, any idea what you took here? Who you took here? In the fourth? Is that the fourth round? Or this, is that no, three we're, in the we're third still third round. round. You get three in the third. We get four. I think we get uh, the equivalent number of the rounds. So we get three in the third, four in the fourth, five in the five. Whatever.
0: Okay. No, um, I don't
1: okay well you went try, defensive end uh, give me
0: yeah, give me a give me a, give me a yeah, give me, so get you went weak side
1: defensive end
0: who, which what now we call edge rushers Sure so, yes
1: yes you went edge rusher
0: uh, um, you went Corey Foreman I already had D, jt Tui Moloao, who kind of plays defensive end um, and who else was in that class at USC was recruiting? That would have been, you know, not uh, reaching too far. You know, I don't. I don't know. Actually, I, I. don't. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Okay. Well, I will tell you who you took. You took uh, Demunion Robinson, who goes by Chop Robinson. Actually, Chop oh, Robinson. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Maryland Turf uh, at one yeah. time,
1: and then transferred to Penn State and became a. Well, he was a really good player at Maryland that became an even better player at Penn State and projected to be a first round pick next year. So Gerard crushing the third round already. So very good pick by you. I don't know how I let him slip, but I was all in on Corey Foreman. So I really did not need another defensive end at this point.
0: Yeah, you did let him slip. I mean, that's a Maryland boy. That's uh, yeah. that's a tough one.
1: Yeah, it's not been a great draft for your boy, for your boy. <laughs> uh Again, like I said, a top projected pick for next season if he continues to do what he did at Penn State for another season. And then I ended the draft going back to the trenches. And it might be my only saving grace for this round. And I took offensive tackle out of Texas, Ruben Fathery out of Richmond, Texas, who ended up going to Texas AM. And I believe he is starting at right tackle for Texas A&M. So at least I got someone who is doing something good at
0: the college level. <laughs> that's, that's starting. I mean, that's a that's a that's a, a start. Is that you got at least a starter on a Power Five program? So that's yeah. So Baby I got steps.
1: I got something. I got a, I got something. I got a nice little tack. I got a right tackle, Gerard. I got a right tackle. We can build around. Yeah, and that, yeah. And that and that that ends. That rounds out the third round, Gerard. So, big ups to you, big downs for me. So, uh, maybe we'll come back and do the fourth round, which uh, I think uh, I think people will want us to hear what we said for the first, for the fourth round moving forward. But uh, uh, I gotta give you I gotta give you an applause because uh, you, uh, you crushed that third round.
0: There you go, hats it off could, it, it could get bad. It could get bad quick though, as we did. we were reaching yet. because I because there were this, some parameters on things, and you know we it was it was one of those things we tried to make it as realistic as possible, not just mm-hmm. like stacking with a bunch of five stars and and guys that were just you know not really seriously considering USC and you know the involvement of USC in their recruitment. So it was relatively interesting for the Trojan band, but. It wasn't because obviously the feedback that we got from it wasn't necessarily that of a of a of a yeah of a a home run uh, type of uh, feature. I mean listen, I I remember back in the days when I used to do the high school football kind of recap and you know, it was myself and Zach Lahado who used to work for us and we I I made all these graphics for for different categories of like awards for each week and put so much time and effort into this and you know, it was basically just you know wrapping up every Week, what recruits that USC had committed, and and how they did, and you had Kyle Crater in that class, you had um, Dietrich Riley in that class, you had Dylan um, Baxter in that class. So you had some guys who were doing some some really crazy things statistic-wise in high school. I mean, uh, Dylan Baxter was like, uh, I mean, he, he was like out of control in terms of uh, his rushing yards and all the touchdowns that he had. And so it was like kind of cool. It was like every week there would be like a new, you know, I would have like this this graphic for like you know the the best defensive player and, and the enforcer of the week sort of thing and I mean honestly I don't think people cared I don't think they care much about high school football scores or stats quite frankly they they just want to know like hey man who's going to be good and and how they're going to contribute and when they get here you know who's who's going to be replaced and who sort of thing so it was a little bit of a reality check and, and this reminds me of that reality check which was years earlier where we put a lot of uh, you know, uh, resources and, and effort into a, a feature that just sometimes doesn't work. Sometimes you get a, a target list that everybody loves, and and other times you think something else is going to be great, and you know they just like, eh, yeah, that's fine, but yeah, I can take it or leave it.
1: How do I get to become Gerard's enforcer of the week?
0: I don't know, I don't know. I can't, <laughs> I can't remember what the uh, what the uh, what the, the the
1: way to crush my dreams before they even started. And with that, let's move the on. The to... it was for that. let's move on to the final part of our show, which is listener questions. As a reminder, if you got a recruited question for us, you can email us at podcast at uspeople.com. Just make sure you put the composite, Chris and Gerald, Hurricane and 10K, Cilantro Boys, whatever. It'll go to my inbox and I'll put it on the show. You can also DM me questions if that is your preferred method. Do not DM Gerard because he will not respond to you. We only got one submission and it's a two-parter because it comes from our boy Abramson, I believe I said that right, a- Aaron Abramson, who has been doing the, the double questions for, excuse me, Andrew Abram Abramson, yes, I, I'm... Are we sure it's not, hey, Abrahamson, because there is that <laughs> No, No, it's, it's not, it's not that, I'm looking at it because Ryan sends them to me, and I'm looking at Abraham and Abramson, and that's like throwing me for a little bit, but Andrew is back again for a two-part question. Hola muchachos, couple questions per usual. I know that the golden hour was a success in retrospect, but in reality, it's hard to attribute that as the reason for getting guys like Walker Lyons, Deuce Robinson, David Peavy, etc., players you committed 3 plus months after the event when the glow of the weekend had completely worn off. So if that weekend cost approximately 2 to 3 million, can you talk about how that is a more efficient use of funds than either using that for upfront cash across the board. If you give, if you could give 30 players a hundred K each or at least far more better players to be taking unofficial visits, since we know all schools are paying for unofficial visits now.
0: I mean, I think that's a legitimate argument that has to be had inside the McKay center. Uh, I, I see the argument for, Hey, let's not have these big events and put, you know, all this money into these big events and just use that money to, to straight out pay these players. Now, of course, what we talked at the top of the podcast, there is inducement. There is, um, you know, how that money is allotted and how those deals are brokered. Those have to be done properly. But I think, you know, the spirit of the question is basically don't put a bunch of money into events where, you know, there's all this stuff going on. And, and just put that money into whatever NIL deal to make it look like, hey, if you you know do this and you use your name, image, and likeness, you're going to get this much money. Um, at the same time, on the flip side, you can say, well, you know, it didn't attribute uh, to Walker Lyons, Deuce, Robinson, and David P. V. Committing to USC because they committed later, but that's that's. I don't know that you can argue that it didn't still have a factor that that weekend wasn't still something that was pivotal in their recruitment, that maybe perhaps it was something that kept them from committing to another school. Maybe that experience kept David Peavy from turning around and immediately committing to Oregon. And it gave USC basically a stay of execution, which they worked to their advantage to where Oregon fumbles the football. And then they're able to swoop in and get that commitment. So I, You know, it's really hard to say it didn't have an impact, but at the same time, I understand the argument of saying, listen, if you are looking at what's important for some of these kids and, you know, where some of these top guys are going. And when you see the five families of NIL and some of these schools are are coming out of nowhere to, to, to sign kids that, you know, they really, when you look at it on paper, doesn't seem like they have a whole lot to offer other than an NIL deal. What if USC just did that thing too and didn't put that investment into actual events? So I I don't think that – I I think it's a a valid point. Um, Do I have an answer as to which way I would personally go? Not yet, not at this point. I mean we're still kind of waiting to see what happens with the regulation of NIL, what happens with some of these sort of low-key threats that the NCAA has made about investigating Miami and and, and all these things, you know, if if that stuff comes to fruition and there are actual repercussions for some of these things which look like inducement, you know, flat out where guys are reportedly signing contracts to go to specific schools, which I don't know how you can argue that's not inducement. If you sign a contract, I'm going to go to this specific school because I'm getting this specific amount of money. I mean that that's 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 inducement right there. That's basically the definition of it. So if something comes of that, then you can go back and say, well, you know what, USC was was really smart to recruit these kids indirectly by spending this money and not just, you know, handing out hundred dollar bills, if you will.
1: And the second part of that, are you hearing any backlash from high school handlers, parents, coaches, etc., about USC being so portal heavy? This ironic thing to me is that even if USC's turns it around on defense this year It'll because of poor auditions and not really amazing player development of high school prospects. So will that even help high school recruiting? In my opinion, USC really needs Rajon Davis and or Damani Jackson to be good. Unfortunately, I've conceded that Corey Foreman is what he is at this point. Thank you. I, I don't think there's necessarily been like a bunch of backlash. I think people also understand that USC had a very, very bare cupboard across the board for offense. Obviously they're recruiting better on offense than defense, but they had a ton of holes from bad recruiting from the previous staff that they needed to fill. And the best way to do that is with the portal. I don't think they want to be so portal heavy, but they're doing what they have been doing. And, you know, as we've seen with this year, it's just upgrading spots with the guys that they, that have come into the portal. You see a big name, Go ahead and grab it. Go get a Bear Alexander. Go get a Emmanuel Pregnon to help upgrade at a certain spot. They're still bringing in a very good class, and they're still recruiting at the high school level. But I think the more so bigger emphasis on the portal was just because they really needed some bodies and they really needed some talent because the previous staff really wasn't getting it done. And that when you have those uh, those limitations, you really need to uh, find the quickest way to to, to fortify your roster, and that just happened to be with the portal.
0: Yeah, to answer the top of the question, no. I, I haven't heard anything about backlash when it comes to kids at the high school level and what USC is doing in the portal. I think that's just the reality of the situation. The, the portal is a double-edged sword for players. It, it, it can be something that you know offers you a new opportunity at a school uh, or it's something where you're going to be out of school as a recruit and you come in as a freshman and then they recruit over you. And they bring in somebody who's got experience who you're going to have to all of a sudden compete with, which when you signed, wasn't there. Uh, Look at the example of Dorian Singer coming in at wide receiver. USC signs three great wide receivers out of high school. Zach Branch, uh, Jacoby Lane, and Makai Lemon. And then, boom, next thing you know, you've got one of the top receivers uh, that's returning in the Pac-12 now on the roster. And you've got to compete against that guy, which you didn't know you're going to have to compete with when you signed. I think it's picking and choosing with that question because you're picking defense and you're concentrating on defense, but USC's recruited very well on offense. They need to recruit better defensively, but they've recruited well on offense and they're going to have to develop those players. So, yes, there's going to have to be player development and they're going to have to be able to sell that player development. I think they did that last year. I think the fact that you could get Tulie, Tui Pulotsu, you got him in the second round. I thought he played himself maybe backing in in the first round, but he goes second round. That's that's great for him. I mean, he played himself into being one of the best pass rushers in the nation. And he ended up playing multiple positions, right? It it kind of worked for him and it worked against him. It worked for him because they used him um, in various different ways that showed his athleticism and displayed his ability to play football outside of just uh, a single position in a single technique doing a limited amount of things. So it allowed scouts to really see him in different lights. On the other hand, It also took away from where I think his best position is, his defensive line. And he ends up losing weight and trying to be more of an edge player. And I just don't think that's where he is. I think he needs to be more 285-pound guy and minimally maybe playing a three technique, um, maybe playing a a four-eye if you're going to play in some type of three-four, but not necessarily a guy that's an edge player. I just don't think he's got that speed, regardless of how much weight he drops. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that's going to be that four-six range Playing on the edge, which is basically what you have to be to stay in the NFL as an edge type rusher. Uh, So they did show, though, USC, some development in that area for him. And I think with defensive backs specifically, there's a ton of development shown with Makai Blackman. I mean, I just don't think Makai Blackman coming out of Colorado gets drafted uh, if he has that same trajectory as a player. But he goes to USC. And I've said this before I think Dante Williams deserves a lot of credit. For how he played. I mean, he goes and he ends up being a fourth round pick. I mean, that's, that's pretty decent. I think for Makai Lemon, I think that's where you see the players. What? He said Mekhi Lemon. Oh, so excuse, excuse me, Makai Blackman. Um, and he was a third round that, pick. I
1: think he finished out the third round.
0: Third, third round. Okay. Third round. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's huge. I think that's, that's showing uh player development and there's going to be a lot of other players that are already on the roster that came through the high school ranks. And maybe are guys that came through the high school ranks that were recruited by the Clay Helton staff that weren't showing uh, signs that now are showing signs. I mean, I think that's another area where you have to look at that when you're comparing this staff to going back to maybe the Pete Carroll staff, where you know, you've got contributions from guys. And some of those guys didn't go high in the draft. I mean, look at Kareem Kelly. Kareem Kelly wasn't a guy that, that turned around and went high in the draft. But you look at Kareem Kelly as a football player when he's with the Paul Hackett staff, and then you see what he was doing. Towards the end of his career, with uh, with with Pete Pete Carroll's staff, and that was a guy that actually could contribute. Salt so McCullough was another guy. The offensive lineman that they had, they they weren't all NFL picks, but you had guys like Lenny Vandermaid who were just there uh, under under Paul Hackett, being okay players, but not necessarily guys that were contributing on a winning football team. And you saw them turn the corner. Champ Simmons is another guy. Jason Leach. There's so many of those players that. All of a sudden, it was like they played well. They didn't go to the NFL. They weren't drafted, but they were guys that went from being liabilities almost to contributing and being productive on a good football team. And so that's really what you want to see from USC, and the wins are are going to be what tells the tale of that. If you're a championship team, you're winning the Pac-12 consistently, and you're getting in the college football playoff, it's because those guys – have been developed, and you are going to see perhaps more put on the high school ranks as you begin to fill some of these holes immediately. I do just wonder that because there's been so much success with portal players that USC is never going to go the way of Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama, at least what they are doing from a philosophy of player management right now Going after just you know kind of cherry picking transfers and getting maybe one or two guys uh, as opposed to going into the double digits each year. I right? I just don't know if you know USC doesn't see certain positions and say that that's those are transfers. Like those guys coming up that we have to replace are going to be replaced by transfers. Like we know that going into it. Maybe there's a guy out of the high school ranks that we feel confident with that we can go after that we like. But we feel at that particular position, and I'm looking at you, interior defensive line, we're going to be able to be better and have better impact players that can be quick replacements uh, out of the college ranks. And that's something that you would understand just because from a high school standpoint, there's not a lot of those ready-made defensive tackles that are going to come in and make an impact year in and year out. So in order to kind of keep that consistency and keep a defense that's going to be competitive and not have huge drop-offs, you know, that might be what you have to do. Listen, I think Pete Carroll probably would have done it to some extent. They had a huge drop-off defensively. They had a few injuries, and, um, you know, it was like, you know, that 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 defense they fielded in the Rose Bowl against Texas was, was – was I mean, it was put together by duct tape. I mean, you, you had the Ryan Tings that were starting at safety. Um, you had a bunch of young, young linebackers that were hurt and banged up, and it was just they did not have the ability – to, you know, have guys that just came in as transfers and they could just not miss a beat. You had to have a bunch of high school players come in there and they just weren't necessarily ready at that point. And so um, USC has the opportunity to kind of pick and choose. I just get the sense that it's going to be hard to uh, to say, you know what? Nope. This class 2024, we're, we're just going to go with high school players here. 2025. OK, look, at, we've got a good roster now. We've got a good foundation. Now we're going to try to bring in a bunch of guys from the high school ranks for cultural purposes. I mean, if they keep having successful transfers, there's going to be a question of why, why change? You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it sort of thing. Right. Which is kind of goes back to what I say about with the the quarterback position. You know, I mean, I I think that's one of those positions where you go, man, it's uh, it's been pretty good getting transfers and getting guys that are athletic quarterbacks. Do you necessarily go away from that and go after a guy like Dylan Riola and put all your eggs in that basket?
1: Gerard, that is our final question of the two-parter from Andrew. Thank you again for submitting, Andrew. Really appreciate it. And that is the end of our show. I know maybe a lot of people are sad that this is the end of the show because that means this will be the last one before we before we go on our break and they don't know when we will return. But Gerard, what are you going to do on your break?
0: Um, well, let's see. Wednesdays is when we record, so uh, I don't know. I'll figure out something to do uh, on a Wednesday. Um, you know, maybe I'll have to go recruit uh, another host for the show. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll be doing the podcast. You never know, Chris. I, I could go reach out and uh, send up a Blair Flair, uh, see if Abrahamson wants to, uh, to, to, to be a host for a little bit. The great thing about this, though, is that we have great rapport, and, and you cover recruiting, and you know recruiting a bit. So, you, you know, it, it, with, with Ryan, is obviously not into the recruiting process uh, very much. So, you know, he kind of tends to just ask questions. And then, you know, I talk and go on. And so, you know, maybe I, I bring back the recruiting rant, which was really a huge pain in the ass to do. It took forever to edit that thing. Um, but, you know, I don't know. You know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, You, you just, uh, you can't predict it.
1: I'm just going to put you down for, like, painting or something.
0: <laughs> you wanted me to, uh, to to have some kind of great, like, non-USC um, football. Yeah, like, like fly I was fishing gonna, you know, or – Model learn culture. Arabic.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs>
0: I'm gonna learn Cantonese. You know, I'm. You know what? I've always wanted to sculpt, and uh, I think I'm gonna start sculpting. I'm gonna go to night school classes on Wednesdays now. And uh, your no, it's, it's 19- probably not going to be
1: 75 stingray in your garage or something. So uh, <laughs> I'll just put you down for painting, if that's cool with you. Finger painting, maybe. All right. Well. We will be back. I promise we will be back. So it, it won't go. It won't feel as long as you think it will be. But there are plenty of episodes to keep you entertained. I am Chris. That is Gerard. We are going to go on a break, but we will catch you next time on the Composite Two-Star Recruits.
0: Yeah,